0: You're seeing a patient in your office for the first visit. How much more would you be able to tell him if you had his key lab results back minutes after doing his physical? Now think again. How could this revolutionize practice in an ED? You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Frank Peacock. Vice Chair in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Peacock is also Chairman of the Emergency Preparedness Committee and the co-editor of a book, Cardiac Emergencies. He is widely published, and we're very fortunate to have him on the show today. Today we're discussing point-of-care, diagnostic testing conducted at or near the side of the patient. A very simple idea, but with some revolutionary results. We're glad you could take the time to be with us today, Dr. Peacock. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Sherry, for having me.
0: First of all, for our listeners, can you define point of care? What is it, and how did you get involved in it?
1: Well, point of care is testing next to the patient, and the advantages of it are a lot of the time that conventional lab testing disappears. Normally, you draw blood out of a patient, send it down to the lab. The lab runs the test and sends the result back, and everything from the point of leaving the patient is not helpful. It's just process. Patients look at this like when you go out to dinner at McDonald's. You want the hamburger now. You don't want it in an hour and a half. And (sighs) and the labs are the same way. So if you ask the patient why you should wait, they don't really have a good reason. And we started doing point of care here because it provides efficiencies that are truly value added to the patient experience.
0: You know, yesterday I spoke to a phase one investigative site, and they were telling me it's been around a number of years ago. Why hasn't it caught on more before now?
1: It's been around for decades, and I think a lot of this has been the arrogance of medicine.
0: Medicine having arrogance?
1: Just a little. And we treated our patients the way we thought they should be treated, and, you know, as medicine has become a business, we have to consider their experiences being important as well. And that is really what's driving this. The idea that you can have somebody waiting two hours for you is absurd. I mean, you would never go to any service industry and be told, well, it'll be two hours till dinner is ready. You just would leave and go to a different restaurant. And so now that's what's happening with medicine is that patients are realizing that they have some power. It's called their feet, and they can walk down the street and find a different emergency department or doctor who's going to provide them a level of service that two hours is not acceptable.
0: It really also comes back to the primary care doctor or the physician seeing the patient. I mean, part of your diagnosis may be dependent on your labs, and you kind of want them sooner, but doctors haven't spoke up or fought for this?
1: You know, I come from a hospital environment where I have an administrator that has a lot of power in determining what we do and what we don't do. And in the past, they looked at nickels and dimes as being very important. And if you told a patient they could have their lab now, you now, if they paid an extra $7, there are very few patients who would say, oh, no, I'd rather wait two or three hours. Right. And that's really the numbers we talk about. There's not a lot of differences. Hospital administrators say, well, we saw 30,000 patients last year, and at $7 each equals a pile of money, and yes, it does. But if you're paying customers leave, you won't see 30,000 patients next year.
0: So the cost, then, is not astronomical in most clinical settings?
1: That has always been the excuse for not going to point of care before is that it really doesn't make an impact, that it's huge costs. And the reality is that's bogus logic. But they got away with it before is because everybody did the same thing. Nowadays where you have some emergency departments where you can get in and out in two or three hours and others you wait six hours to see the doctor, patients are making choices.
0: Now, of course, these tests are validated, right? Is there any need for the clinician to run a second send-out test? And if so, what happens to billing?
1: Now, you know, there's no reason for a second send-out test. That completely would defeat the point of doing a point-of-care, because what you're saying if you needed a second send-out is you didn't trust the first level. And the quality of point-of-care testing rivals that of lab testing nowadays. You know, maybe 15 years ago it was different, but the current environment is you need one test.
0: So patients will love it, and they'll think you're just being magical. You're the doctor that gives them their lab results right now. You can talk to them about their cholesterol or their blood count or whatever while they're in front of you. So what's that going to mean to the practice of the PCP in the office? If one guy gets it, everyone's going to have to have it, right?
1: Well, that's what I say, that we're looking at the beginning of a sea change. Now, the emergency department has driven this because it's a very time-compressed environment. I think what you have to consider is what tests you're ordering, and having three tests back but ordering five means the patient's still stuck waiting on two. So in the PCP environment where the panels that are ordered are much different, that's going to be a different consideration. If all you're checking is a blood sugar or a pregnancy test or your analysis, it's a one-stop shop for the patient. That's a great deal. They don't have to come back a second time. That's nice.
0: So next question, logically, what tests are currently available or what isn't available?
1: Well, a lot of the tests that have driven the point-of-care market have been those that require emergency decisions. So troponins and blood sugars and those things where there's immediate intervention. And what is starting to happen, although I don't really feel like it's taken over the market, is the point-of-care companies are starting to consider, well, maybe we should do cholesterol quick. Not that they need it in the emergency department, but because you go to your doctor, you have three tests done and the cholesterol, you have your counseling and you're out the door and you don't come back, that will drive patient satisfaction in a huge way. Although a lot of those sort of what I would call secondary tests are not currently available, a lot of the companies are evaluating the possibility of doing that because it's so much better for the patient's experience.
0: I have an ER background also, and I can see it as being revolutionary for the ED, for fire rescue in the field, air rescue units. What is some of your experience with this application?
1: In the emergency department, it clearly changes the game because instead of patients, uh, we have a protocol in my ER. You come in, you're short of breath, the nurse gets an EKG, a troponin, and a BNP and orders a chest X-ray. Fifteen months later, I'm done. And we have a decision and the patient can go to wherever they need to go without point of care we're looking at a 2 hour experience. So in terms of efficiencies, that's a huge deal. Now, when you talk about moving out of the hospital into EMS world and disaster planning, things are different and the tests that are available there really haven't hit the market unless you want to consider there's some very new tests that use lasers for the identification process, and they literally take under one minute. And so in the emergency preparedness world, you go to a disaster scene, there's a white powder, you wonder what it is, you hit it with a laser, and it will give you the answer immediately that it's powdered sugar. And at that point, you say, well, there's no disaster here, and you move on. Or it will tell you, "Eh, it's consistent with anthrax. So it completely changes the game. Now, that is also very new and not conventionally used in a large Number of the pre hospital arenas yet, but these are the kind of things we're looking at coming down the road for the emergency preparedness world.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinicians Roundtable on Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I am speaking with Dr. Frank Peacock from the Cleveland Clinic, and we're discussing point of care. Yeah, the whole air rescue disaster scene is—I see where it can completely revolutionize stuff. What about ERs that are using it already? What can you tell us? What has it done, for instance, to diversion times?
1: Well, there's been some modeling study. Alan Storrow just presented this at one of the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine meetings just recently, and demonstrated in a model that it can decrease diversion times significantly. Now, models are nice; they're not as good as the real deal. And so, what waits now is to demonstrate that you can decrease diversion time by doing point-of-care testing. But I would tell you something that we're sort of dancing around here on something. It's just obvious. You know, if you can take a patient's throughput and cut two hours off of it, that's going to improve the efficiency and allow the emergency department to see a lot more patients with no added costs because, you know, one of the problems is I can see a lot more patients if I add a lot more beds. And
0: right, bed right. It's very expensive. It's not always just the lab test that's holding up the admission.
1: But if I can do my lab test quickly, and there's been... Many studies that show that point-of-care testing chops about one hour off the decision process. Well, if you figure that I have 20 beds in my emergency department, that means I can see 20 patients at a time, chop an hour off their length of stay, and that will increase the number of patients I can see by a very large amount without any increase in overhead with the exception of the actual cost of that test. And the cost of these tests are in the single-digit dollar numbers. So it is not like it's an enormous cost. It is essentially very little increase in overhead for market increases in efficiency. And the idea that that wouldn't decrease diversions, you know, it's sort of silly. It's clearly going to improve the efficiencies.
0: But the work that was done so far was modeling, right? It wasn't actually done in a real-life ER diversion setting?
1: Yeah. In terms of actually did diversion numbers go down, the model said they went down a lot. That's not the same as doing a study where you have an ER that does point of care compared to an ER that doesn't and see if point of care decreased the amount of diversions for any situation. However, like I said, the efficiencies are so remarkably better with point of care that it's somewhat obvious.
0: Yeah, I can also think of a lot of situations where in the ER you know the guy's coming in anyhow and it's not really the lab test that's holding him up. It's the beds that aren't ready, so your hands would be tired, but you still need that information back sooner.
1: Yeah, most ERs don't admit most patients, though. Mm -hmm. You know, the discharge rate for most emergency departments is something around 60 or 75%, somewhere in that range. So if I can discharge a patient because the labs came back and they were negative... It's even better. ...that's a bed. Yeah. So even in the systems that are strained and busy and every bed is full you can make beds by discharging people, and you can do that quicker with point of care.
0: I can also see different angles of advantage in a clinic setting. Neurology, for instance, if you could do your AEDs, your anti-epileptic medications, before the patient leaves the office and maybe change his prescription instead of calling him in a few days with it. Is that on the horizon? Can they do that type of testing?
1: Some kinds of drugs can be tested in point of care. Now, when you start talking about qualitative or quantitative. We have had for decades the qualitative testing. We have drug of abuse panels that you can put a drop of urine on, and Mm -hmm. half an hour later, you know the patient has been exposed to PCP and, you know, whatever other drugs are positive. But the qualitative one is the easier one. The quantitative one, I'm not sure exactly where we are in that, you know, did you take your Dilantin and is the level therapeutic? I'm not aware of that being available today. But there are other good examples of things that are currently available that right now are exactly the model that you refer to, which is the patient coming and getting a test and having to wait, and that is Coumadin. Patients right. have an INR. They go home, you got to call them, you track them down. Oh, the INR is off the scale, go to the hospital and get evaluated. If you knew that in the office, it would be a one-stop deal. Oh, you know, skip a dose of Coumadin, see you later. And that is available today. We've just started using that in my emergency department because that was one of the things that was slowing us up the most was waiting for INRs.
0: Is that what they're using in PT clinics or no?
1: I think most PT clinics are still using lab-based platforms. One of the challenges of of point-of-care testing is all the documentation and quality improvement stuff that is required by a lab must also be done by a point-of-care testing. And in the model we used when we first started doing this probably a decade ago, the nurses would do it. Well, we have 150 nurses, and keeping them all tested and able to perform this accurately is really a challenge. And so what we did is we changed our respiratory therapists, where we have about 10 of them. <laughs> yeah. And so our quality issues just disappeared, because you can do a very good product when you have just 10 people to teach instead of 150. This is also going to apply to the physician's office. You know, The more complicated the system, the more challenges you have. But I think the current issues with point-of-care testing in, like Coumadin clinics is that they have not set up that infrastructure. Once it's set up, it makes it instant.
0: For the mechanics of doing these tests, it's the same way. Do you still have to spin down the blood, have a centrifuge, pipe it out?
1: Well, there are some what I would call near-patient testing that requires that. That makes it more complex. But the INR test, glucose test, uh, troponin, BNP, there are a lot of tests that just hold blood. So there's no spin or anything. You take a drop of blood and drop it on the testing unit. And 15 minutes later, you have your answer.
0: Dr. Peacock, thank you for being my guest today.
1: Thank you for the opportunity to be here today.
0: We've been discussing point of care, lab results at the bedside. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or to listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with the promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office.